Welcome to the favorites, the podcast from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman, and today, back in a triumphant return, Mr. Bob Scucci. Later on in the show, Arash Markazi, columnist for the LA Times, my former colleague at ESPN, who has logged more miles, more miles from LAX to Vegas than any human alive. He is going to come on to talk Vegas Raiders, Vegas reopening, and a huge risk, a huge risk he took that few people would ever bother taking. And, and before we get to any of that, we're going to play a new game here on the podcast. Matt Mitchell, producer extraordinaire, tell our fans how to play. Thanks, Chad. We are calling on all of our listeners here at the Favorites Podcast to head to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. And if you do so, you'll be entered to win a fabulous prize. All you have to do is leave a review and include the phrase, the right side is the winning side, along with your Twitter or Instagram handles. And one lucky reviewer will receive a copy of The Odds, the book signed by both author Chad Noman and the real author, Bob Scucci. So leaving a review only takes about 30 seconds, and we really appreciate it. If you're not sure where to write the review, you just go to Apple Podcasts on your phone, tap the favorites tile, scroll all the way down the episodes list, and there at the bottom, you'll see ratings and reviews. Chad, Scooch, and the whole Action Network crew, we'd really appreciate it. So thanks in advance. Good luck. And back to you, Chad. We're back, baby. Scooch, I'm looking right at you. Chad, what's going on, man? You look fantastic. Dude, listen, we've been keeping up. I'm talking to you fairly regularly during uh, the downtime, but it's nice to get you back on. It feels like you haven't been on in forever. Give me the rundown. What's happening at the Orleans? What's happening with Boyd Gaming? What's happening in Las Vegas? Are you back in the office? What's it like? So I'm, I'm back in the office a couple days a week. Um, still working a lot remotely. I'm home right now. So I'm, I'm working from home right now. I've got two offices. One is at the Orleans and one is at the, uh, the corporate office. So I've, I've been into both. Both are a little still uh, kind of hard to get used to. When you walk through the casino, obviously it's, uh, it's not as full as we would uh, you know, like to see it or used to seeing it. But uh, I was actually surprised when we opened that we have as many people as we do. We had more people than I thought we would. We opened on June 4th. We opened seven of our sports books. A few of our sports books, the smaller ones, uh, still, haven't, still haven't opened, mainly just because the casino itself hasn't opened yet. And I was surprised how many people were there. I mean, there was a ton of people there. And there was no sports really going on that day. The only thing we, we booked uh, was a little bit of international soccer. Uh, but uh, we had some horse racing. Uh, Gulfstream was running and a couple of other racetracks and uh, people were lined up to bed and uh, they were great about, uh, you know, the new format and we're telling them how to stay six feet apart. And we had every other teller uh, stationed in, in, in the race and sports book, trying to maintain the, the, the distancing. And uh, for the large part, you know, we weren't mandating the wearing of masks, although we highly encouraged it. Uh, since then, uh, the governor's mandated uh, a couple of days ago, as of Friday, uh, so now everyone's uh, uh, wearing masks and everybody's great about it. So we have very, very few uh, uh, complaints. I think people were just more uh, excited to to have some place to go to someplace safe and someplace to kind of see their friends, uh, even if it is at a little bit of a distance. 
All right, so I saw a picture, I think, the night before Vegas opened, and it was from outside the Orleans. It was right along the sidewalk there at that main entrance where you pick up and drop off. And before midnight, there was a massive line standing outside the Orleans. There is nothing in the world that I've ever felt like I needed to be at as soon as it opened. I certainly have never felt I need to be at the casino before it opens. Like, who the fuck is lining up to go to the Orleans at 11.55 on June 4th, three months after a pandemic, when the coronavirus is still out there? The Orleans is the place to be, man. I'm not even saying about the Orleans. I'm saying, who the fuck is lining up at the Bellagio or the MGM or Mandalay or whatever? Everyone's different, you know. So me, personally, I don't like to line up anywhere. I don't go to You don't have to line up anywhere, Scooch. (laughs) I've got a place at the front of every line. And if I have to wait in line someplace, I'd rather not even go. I mean, that's me. But I'm in the minority there. And, you know, I've got some relatives. I've got, you know, my Uncle Ray. He's the first person to be in line. And New Year's Eve, the big crowds. And, you know, everyone's different. So uh, I, I get it, especially... If you know you have a place that you've been going to for years, and so the Orleans, a lot of the people that have been going there kind of live in the surrounding neighborhood. It's a it's a combination of a locals place as well as a destination resort. So we rely on a lot of those uh, folks that live around around the neighborhood. And you know, after three months of being kind of cooped up, they were just looking for a place to go. So I, I get it. The only time I've never had to wait in line was my bachelor party. In Las Vegas in uh, 1998, June of 1998, when I um, thought we were going out for a nice dinner, me and all my buddies, and I went up to change clothes and walked out of my room and walked into a buddy's room. And he's like, man, you look great. I'm like, thanks. And he goes, it's not what you're wearing tonight. And uh, pulls out a polyester Elvis jumpsuit a massive, massive wig and the plastic gold rimmed sunglasses and says, this is what you're wearing. And for the rest of the night, I did not wait in a single line. <laughs> yeah. You go anywhere as Elvis and you are getting free limo rides and you go to the front of every single line. But what's it like booking right now? I mean, we're booking a lot of things that uh, frankly, we have no experience in, you know, Japanese baseball, South Korean baseball, and uh, some things that uh, we're just relying on the expertise of some others. And uh, uh, fortunately, there's not a whole lot of professional betters that focus on that either. So we're doing fairly well with it. Uh, But it's strange. It's strange not kind of, you know, you fall into a routine after all these years of following, you know, the box scores and following the news and following the cycles and just not having any of those cycles is just uh, just strange. So uh, kind of getting used to it all. And uh, you know, other than that, booking is booking, whether it's uh, South Korean baseball or Major League Baseball. So that, that part's the same. Right. So explain what you mean by that. Like we'll joke all the time during the season that like you'll be losing, but imagine how much worse it would be if I wasn't so good a job, wasn't so good at bookmaking. <laughs> so like I assume you're talking about balancing, understanding your liability, where the risk is, explain to people what you mean by that. Yeah, well, I mean, part of uh, bookmaking is minimizing your risk. And even when you lose, sometimes because of your, the way you're booking, you're losing less than you would normally lose if you, you know, weren't as efficient. So a lot of times we can have 
and I've talked about it before, we can have our biggest losing days, you know, lose a ton of money, and I'll feel good about the day because I've done everything I could to minimize it, and it could have been twice as bad. So, so and it goes both ways. On winning days, I've had days where we've won money, and I don't feel half as good because I feel we didn't book that well, and we should have won a lot more uh, than, than what we actually did win. So you're never quite happy as a bookmaker, you know, even, even if you, uh, you know, even if you have great days, you always feel like you could do a little, a little bit better. And that's kind of the competitiveness in us. Uh, but when we're talking about baseball, baseball is still baseball. And if you're dealing with a, a 20 cent line now, maybe because of, uh, we don't really know the players that well, we'll have a 30 cent line instead of a 20 cent line or a 20 cent line instead of a 10 cent line. So we'll kind of widen the gap a little bit, increase our theoretical hold only based only because we don't know a whole lot about that sport. A whole lot. Dude, you don't know anything no, about zero. Korean baseball. Zero. Like it, like, but doesn't that make you nervous? Like, all right, like, here's the situation. Yeah. It's COVID. Everything is shut down. Your book, like everyone's business is sort of struggling and trying to figure out how can we create some kind of product that can drive revenue. All of a sudden, out from the distance comes Korea baseball, Korean baseball and comes Russian table tennis and all these sports that none of us have any idea what they are. And you're being asked all of a sudden, like it's either make book on sports. I don't know, or don't make anything. How are you like the night before you're supposed to start doing this? How are you even figuring out what you're doing? <laughs> like I said, we'll call, uh, we'll call some people that we rely on over the years that, uh, uh, that, that are, have some connections that uh, uh, they'll be able to contact people who do follow it a lot more closely than, than the rest of us. So we have to rely on other people uh, in those situations. And then after booking it, then we become more proficient. Then we do know a little bit about it. And, you know, I'll give an example, like years ago, uh, we, we never really booked uh, beach volleyball. Uh, and uh, it was real popular with the Hawaiian clientele that we had at our downtown properties. So they'd come into town, you know, hundreds of, of, of our Hawaiian guests, and they said, hey, they got this big beach Hawaiian, uh, this uh, uh, beach volleyball tournament. Can you put odds on it? We didn't know anything about it. So, you know, the first year we put it up, we got beat. Second year we put it up, we got beat. By the third year, we had a pretty good understanding of it, and then we started to actually know what we're doing. So it's kind of the same thing. Uh, with this. We'll rely on other people's opinions at first. We have other tools in place to minimize the risk. We're not going to take $20,000 a game. You know, it generally, uh, we'll probably limit it to, to you know, $1,000. Uh, that covers like 99% of the people that actually want to bet. There's very few people that want to bet more than that. And if they do, you know, there's, there's other flags that come up, you know, and and so, so they're easy to detect, you know, you still want to keep the wise guys at bay and you still use the same ways of detecting them that you do in other sports. I, uh, I'm feeling very nostalgic this week because I knew you were coming on today. Uh, our old friend, Alan Boston called me today. Uh, he was in, he was in very good spirits, which was great. Uh, yes. and I did a podcast recently called the window with a guy named Matt Russell from Canada to broadcaster in Canada. And he happens to be a guy who loves sports betting. And he had called me like five years ago trying to figure out how to sort of get his 
the media business he was working in to feel comfortable with sports betting. He was as prepared as anybody who's ever interviewed me ever. And um, it was amazing. And, uh, and not just because, you know, it's fun to talk about yourself. He asked so many questions about the odds and it made me even more nostalgic. And then today, Carl Reiner dies. And like the first line in his obituary, which you would never expect is of the Ocean's Eleven trilogy. And like Swingers was on a few weeks ago and Swingers like has such a stardust feel to it. All of it makes me sad that you can't go full bore and like have hundreds of thousands of people in the casino. Yeah, it's uh, it's bittersweet, um, but uh, you know, it's. I thought the canceling of March Madness tournament was about the most surreal thing that I had seen in the sports book. Just not seeing that canceled. So everything else after that kind of paled in comparison. I mean, to me, that was like the moon falling, right? <laughs> you know, you just didn't expect to see that. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, we're just kind of learning to, to deal with things that we've never, never dealt with before. Matt Russell did ask me uh, why you weren't in the book more. I came up with like a fake answer, which was, you know, Joe Lupo ran the sports book and he was sort of the primary character. And Scooch was a great guy who gave me a lot of background and explained things to me. And that's when I knew he was so good at this. And I begged him to do the podcast. I didn't want to tell him there were just too many stories that I wasn't allowed to talk about. <laughs> you should have seen when, when that book came out, we, you know, you, you know that you and I didn't talk about anything that was going in the book or out of the book. We just hoped and prayed. So, so Joe, Joe Lupo and I, when that book came out, the first thing we did was like, what's in here? What's in here? <laughs> one by one, we're going, Phew. okay, he kept that out. That's great. He kept this out. That was great. So yeah, I agree. There's a lot that we kept out. I can't even remember what I wish I had put in. Reminder to listeners, go into Apple Podcasts, go to the favorites. You rate this as a five star. You give it a review. You drop the scoochism, the right side. Is that a Melmanism or a scoochism? The right side is the winning side in the review. Yeah, I think that was yours. That was mine. And uh, you may be lucky enough to get a signed copy of The Odds, the very book we are talking about right now. Uh, it will be signed by both me and Bob Scucci, who may or may not have been in the book. What did you miss most? What did you miss most before you got back to work? Well, I mean, I, I miss the action. I mean, it, it, just having that, it felt like, uh, like even when I go on vacation, there's still, you're, you're still trying to like keep up with all the, the, the sports and all the, the major events, the transactions that are going on. Trying to fill that void every day was, uh, was a lot. I mean, you just, it's a part of your life for 30 years and then suddenly there's just, there's nothing, you know? So it's like, what do you do in the meantime? I mean, I've got some, some projects going on that are kind of non-sports related. We're in transi transition with some of our Nevada casinos here. So I've, I've had stuff to keep me occupied, but just the lack of that sports and just the habit. You know, my, my wife was kind of making fun of me because one night I'm sitting there watching the 1984 World Series with you know, the Padres and the Tigers. <laughs> She's like, what? Are you really like that jonesing for a sport? I mean, and I wasn't. I mean, it was just on, and I was like, "Hey, hey, I remember this." And but, but yeah, you kind of need some of that to 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 kind of keep you going. So when when Mick, that Mickelson match with with Tiger Woods was on, that was a whole event for me. You know, I had the, I had the snacks going on. I was like five hours of my day that I'm just right in front of the TV. I know it was so great when that happened. When the Mickelson Brady and and Manning and Tiger Woods match happened. We were supposed to go have a social distance evening with friends. And um, 
I kept texting my buddy. I'm like, five more minutes. I got to watch the end of this. Five more minutes. I got to watch the end of this. Like, I didn't want to get off the couch. And like, yeah. it was a Sunday afternoon. I made myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> I like had a bag of sun chips. I even had like a glass of chocolate milk. It was so good to just sit on the couch and watch sports. And normally I get to say that because it's my job. I have to be watching it. To have it as an afternoon and I'm just like, I got to do this and I'm ignoring everybody. It was a it was a freaking gift. <laughs> just took you away for a minute instead of thinking about everything that's going on in the world right now. Well, Scooch, everyone says it's coming back. We got baseball coming back. We got NBA coming back. And right now everyone seems to say it's still happening and hopefully they do start and uh, they do get to finish their season. 60-game season in Major League Baseball. Like, I've been getting so many questions about how you handicap a home run winner, a uh, season win total, a MVP, a Cy Young, all of these things um, in a 60-game season. I want to get your take, how you're thinking about handicapping these, and then I want to give you my take, which is probably more interesting to me. <laughs> well, I'm sure your take is a lot more interesting because we're just taking season season numbers and just dividing it by the percentage of what they would normally play, and just kind of coming up with a with a number uh, that's just strictly formulated by by the math of a full season. So uh, nothing terribly exciting in the handicapping of putting up the number. We'll let everyone else kind of drive the number up and down once we put them up. I'm looking a lot at park metrics. What I'm really doing is reading Sean Zarillo at Action Network, reading any story in our app that he writes because he's as good at baseball as anyone and he loves the Reds right now in sort of a shortened season. But park metrics, it's all wacky this year because the teams are not traveling all over the country. Their park metrics are going to have a much bigger impact. Like if Manny Machado plays horribly in San Diego, but is amazing in Colorado, but they're having fewer games in Colorado, or he's amazing at Shea or City Field, but he's got fewer games at Shitty Field. City Field, like all of a sudden that has an impact. It's not as easy as just dividing and percentages and sort of all that simple math you're talking about, Scooch. Where are you getting the most traction right now for odds to win the World Series and for season win totals? We're, I mean, right now, they're, they're not uh, driving a whole lot of uh, handle because I, I think everyone just wants to see – I mean, there's different rules involved, especially with the season win totals uh, from operator to operator. So I think that's one thing that you just have to be careful of in terms of, uh, you know, it's not standard of the required number of games in order for you to have action. Uh, and, and they may differ from place to place. So if you do see some drastic odds, I think, you know, just look at – at the number of games that's required for, for action. So I think, but at least here in Vegas, they're kind of keeping a, a, an arm's length uh, from, from those type of props right now, only because they're just really not sure they don't want to tie up their money for, for that long of a time period and then not know if they're just going to get a refund on it. Uh, but, you know, so just the, the normal kind of, the, the teams that were kind of in it last year are still, still driving uh, uh, most of the bets and, uh, you know, teams like the Yankees and Dodgers uh, because they just the popularity. But but it's not we're not getting a whole lot of the sharp play uh, that you would normally see on, on those type of props. Have you figured out what the minimum number of games is going to be for you guys to pay off a bet? So we have partners in uh, outside of Nevada, and a lot of times uh, our our house rules don't always mesh. So uh, we're trying to make them as consistent as possible. So I'm still working with those guys to to kind of get to that uh, 
that final number. So uh, still up in the air. All right. So then let's talk about NBA for a second, because they've been talking about coming back for a lot longer. So maybe you've had a chance to sort of think a little bit differently. Here's the one question, as you know, I'm pretty famous. And so I do a lot of radio shows. And here's the one question I get asked about more than any other, the value or lack of value that home court advantage now doesn't have and what that does to even the playing field for teams like the Rockets against sort of the big three in the Clippers, Lakers, and uh, Bucks. So, yeah, I mean, that's the question everyone was asking even before the, the, the shutdown when they were talking about uh, playing in arenas with, with no fans. And uh, obviously every arena has a slightly different uh, uh, home court advantage and baseball has a slightly different uh, home field advantage. Uh, so, uh, I, I mean, that's the, that's the unknown. But if you're asking me as a, a, as a bookmaker, um, I mean, it, 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 it's pretty – pretty standard in the NBA. We just subtract that, uh, uh, what would normally be a, a four point home, three point home court advantage, four point or five point home court advantage, take that out of the number and, uh, uh, just use basically the raw number. So, you know, usually when you're making odds and you have your, your, your stats in front of you, you're looking at an away number, or a neutral field or home number. And so you're just going to use that neutral field number on on every one of them. Yeah, but I'm not even thinking about um, fans and how they could impact. I'm thinking about the creature comforts of home, like the lack of travel that comes when you're an NBA player. You get to stay in your own bed. You get to take the normal route to the stadium. You get to drive your own car. Uh, You're comfortable with the stadium, with the optics, the literal optics, the angles, you know, dead spots, like things like that that are sort of tricks of the trade, like the Bucks don't have any more of an advantage with that than the Rockets do at this point. So to me, like I might be more inclined to bet the Rockets at 12 to one, 10 to one, whatever they are, than the Bucks at a little bit less than three to one. Yeah. I, I mean, most of the studies done on home court advantages, uh, you know, like when you, when you looked at all the, the, the star players, statistics at home versus away they were always pretty similar so in terms of the 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 statistics themselves on those players if there was no difference home and away then really you know what made them play or play better at home what gave them a better win ratio at home and what it always seemed to come back to was officiating and not to suggest that the officiating was intentionally malicious. It's just having that home crowd just subconsciously uh, affects those uh, uh, those close decisions, you know, those bang-bang plays. And, and so, like, all these studies have been done. There's been some pretty good articles. I, I can't cite some of the authors. I can't remember them. But uh, there's been some pretty good studies on that. So it almost always comes down to the officiating, whether it's the umpires in baseball or, or, the, or the referees in football. And so that tells you. So without the fans, you wouldn't necessarily have that officiating bias that you would normally have with a full arena or a full stadium. So yes, I, there's probably some degree of familiarity with the court, uh, or like you said, in baseball, it probably has the biggest uh, bias only because every park is, is a little bit different. And then once the players, you know, have a, a feel for their home field, it's different, but you know, every basketball same, every basketball court's the same, every football field is the same. 
so I always have to go back to the officiating in terms of uh, what really drives that home field advantage. Well, I got to tell you, that has been discussed the least in any conversation I've had about the NBA coming back is the impact of officiating home versus away. And so how do you account for that? Well, you don't really in the in making of the number. That's why I, I say there's an intrinsic number, and then we'll kind of let the we'll let the betters kind of uh, discuss which 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 is the best angle. I mean, that's nothing different that you have two opposing views from the handicappers themselves uh, on what the right angle is, and and that's always been the success of handicap handicapping is kind of knowing what's not built into the number, right? So this is how you get to that number, and then you know, your success as a handicapper is finding out what's not built into that and then whether or not that applies and how successful you'll be. How quickly do you think you will adjust once NBA games come back? What, what will you need to start making adjustments? I mean, how many games under our belt? Yeah. Or, it, probably by the first three or four days. Um, we'll see if there, you know, what kind of trends there are and, uh, you know, whether there's more scoring, less scoring, more enthusiasm, less enthusiasm, um, you know, that has to affect the players as well, not having the fans in the stadium. And, and you know, some some players just rise to an occasion uh, based on kind of that momentum and, and that feeling. So, you know, without that, uh, you know, maybe maybe those guys that were averaging 21 points a game suddenly only average 18, 19, you know. So uh, there's a lot of unknowns, and that's kind of the beauty of it. And guess what? God willing, God willing, we are going to find out all the answers come July 30th. And hopefully yeah. we get to keep seeing the answers all the way through the middle of October. Give me odds right now. Odds that the NFL plays a full season in 2020. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I think... Uh, you're probably like if you had to bet yes that they're going to play a full season I'd probably give you three to two three to two is pretty good yeah yeah I'd give you three I'd probably give you a dollar fifty what what makes you feel that way um because I think having already closed down everything it's going to be a last resort and things would have to get uh, um, you know escalated pretty quickly in order for everything to close down again. So I think, I think they're going to, they're going to start the season. However, I just feel that certain spots are going to get a little worse than others. And then they're going to make some adjustments that's going to cause one game, two game, three game, you know, undetermined number of games, but to play a full season in this, in these conditions, I think it'd be an underdog. Sadly. I don't like I'm a pessimist by nature. I don't like I don't like the way you're headed. And in Vegas, I would think there is tremendous excitement, enthusiasm, optimism, and also like we're not shutting this football thing down until like it's the last possible second, just because the Raiders opening a new stadium in the town, like it, the euphoria has to be beyond belief. The, the excitement around this town, it's, uh, you know, even, even greater than when the Vegas Golden Knights uh, first started that, that first year. Because you mean the, people care more about the NFL than the NHL? That's crazy. Who would have thought that? Yeah. You know, it's unbelievable. So, 
Uh, so, yeah, the excitement. And then every time I drive by that stadium and, you know, you can see it, you know, from the Orleans, you come out of the Orleans, and you're looking right at it. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful stadium. And, you know, just you get excited just driving by and looking at it and then to say, you know, they're, they're going to be coming here after all these years of not having a professional franchise. And now we've got some. It's, it's, it's really exciting. And I think everyone shares that here in Vegas. So, yeah, nobody's looking forward to anything ever being shut down again. But to ask if one or two games somewhere along the line, if, you know, one team has to miss or another team has to miss, you know, it's just, like I said, a small underdog, not a big underdog. Okay. Well, listen. (laughs) Would you lay it or would you take it? I am going to believe that if they start playing, they're not stopping. And you'd lay $1.70, $1.80? I would lay that. Yeah. All right. I would. I, I like your optimism. If you're booking, if you're booking, I'll take it. <laughs> Listen, Scooch, I hope it happens, and I hope that uh, I hope that you don't have to wait in line for parking. You go to games? <laughs> you don't like to leave your house. I, I can't believe you'd go to games. I really don't like to leave my house. Uh, if, if I have the suite, then I'll go. So, uh... <laughs> Does Boyd Gaming have a suite? We do, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, so, and I've been invited some of our, some of our other uh, vendors and some of our other people that we, we deal with, they have suites. And so I'm on the, I'm on the invite list. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> our, our Boyd suite at the, uh, uh, at the T-Mobile center, when we, when I get tickets for the Vegas Golden Knights, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, you drive, you park your car, like literally right next to the suite. So you have your own entry. You don't have to wait for like, the, the cars that are in front of you, you drive right up, you get out of your car and you're basically in the suite. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Scooch doesn't wait. <laughs> Scooch doesn't wait. wait at all. And reminder, everybody go to the favorites page in Apple podcasts, rate and review the podcast. Use the phrase, the right side is the winning side. We will randomly choose a winner to get a signed copy of the odds. And you will not have to wait for that because Scooch and I will both do it X. Ex- Dishously. Scooch, I feel like it might be time for you to just start coming back on like every week or so, whatever. We got to figure out our schedule. I, I might have to do that. This was fun. All right, man. It was good to All see right. you. I miss you. You too. you too, man. See you, buddy. Take care. Coming up next on the podcast, as promised, Arash Markazi, columnist, LA Times, traveling to Vegas on a nonstop pattern. He's going to talk all about the biggest risk He's taken a local boy made good, USC legend, LA legend, my friend and former colleague from ESPN, Mr. Arash Markazi, my brother. How are you? Man, oh man, Ashevitz. Listen, uh, <laughs> whenever, whenever I think about you, I always think about, we went to Dan Tanis one night. That's right. In LA, and it, it was like, there's been a lot of cool nights to have in LA, and like, yeah. When you have your job and when I used to have my job, like you could do a lot of cool things in LA, but that Dantana's night, like it just felt so cool and connected. Like you knew every single person. <laughs> well, that is quintessential Hollywood is to Dantana's. And so um, it's a great place. It, the um, history on the walls, uh, it is one of my favorite places to go. So it's also important to know, like, you're sort of an L.A. legend for people who don't know that you've been around L.A. forever. You grew up there. Then you went to USC and now you're a part of the, the journalism program there. So you have a lot of students coming through. 
but what's most interesting to me, and then you were at ESPN for a long time and, and we're going to get into that. Now you're at the LA times. What's most interesting to me is like how you've managed the way you are perceived by everybody in LA in which you are able to do critical coverage and yet still everybody seems to want to talk to you. I hope that that's the case. Sometimes <laughs> it's probably not, but I think as long as you're authentic, as long as you're yourself, I genuinely like hanging out with people every year. I have a birthday party despite turning 40 I kind of use like my birthday as an excuse to like bring like everyone who covers whatever sport because I'm so lucky that I don't just cover like one team or one sport. So, you know, that's like the one day of the year. Like I kind of like, like to invite like everyone in town just to kind of catch up. Like I genuinely like hanging out with people. I like talking with people. Like I love the job that I do because like it gives me like an excuse to sit down with people and pick their brain and uh, chat with them. But to your point, this is a dream job for me because this is my city. I love Los Angeles so much. I grew up here. So to be able to cover not only the Lakers, the Dodgers, Clippers, USC, and all those teams, but to do it for the Los Angeles Times. And I know we've talked about that before. I mean, that's a dream job. And it's still uh, so cool to me that I get to pick up the paper and I get to see my name there. All right. So before we started recording, you told me that you're going to one of our mutually favorite cities tonight, a, a city that... <laughs> When we worked together at ESPN, became your beat. You're going to Vegas. Uh, how many times, how many miles do you think you've walked <laughs> from LA to Vegas? Well, okay, so you helped coin this uh, beat that I've kind of carried with me to the time is covering the flight path between uh, Las Vegas and Los Angeles. We started up in 2016 when um, Vegas Golden Knights, which hadn't been named yet, they were about to get their first pro sports team. And we did feel at that point that that was sort of like the beginning of this big trend. And to be honest, let, let me go back with the first moment when I switched to work with you and Dan Kaufman and stuff, it was T-Mobile Arena just opened up. And they opened it with the purpose of housing a professional team, whether it was the NBA and the, the, the um, NHL, or both, which they still would like to do at some point. I do not know. I do know that I've grown to love the city as my second home, or I, I, there was a time where I was like, maybe I should just like move there. But but it's one of those cities, as you know, Chad, it's like, it's such a, a relationship town where like you walk around town and like you got your restaurant that you like to go to or your bar you like to go to and your casino host or bartender. And it's like, you know, it, it is a real community. So when the shooting happened in Vegas, what I always told people is that it's not just a strip. These people live in Henderson. They live in Summerlin. They live in the North Las Vegas. They have families. They have, I mean, there's a ton of high schools. I mean, people would be shocked at the number of high schools that are in Las Vegas. So it is a community. And so I've really been fortunate that that job carried over to the Times as well. So it's interesting you mentioned the key word there, which is relationships, right? Like the reason why I think we all collectively felt taking you off of the LA Clippers beat and <laughs> having you cover something a little bit broader that took advantage of your connections and your ability to create relationships and just find cool stories and do that between LA and Vegas, which are two of the cities where you are, you have to be the most connected in order to get something cool and different than is more than just a game story. That led to me to my favorite Arash Markazi Vegas story, uh. which is 
I, I don't know. This show is sort of becoming like a <laughs> let's celebrate Vegas show because earlier sure. I had I had uh, Bob Scucci, a bookmaker at the Orleans, yeah. who I've known forever. Uh, and we were talking about the reopening. And so yeah. tell me about like the J.R. Smith experience. Yeah, so 2016, this is sort of the uh, couple days before uh, they're about to get their um, hockey team. The league is about to announce that Vegas is the, and we knew that this was going to happen, but that was basically why I was there. Like, I, I was really excited for Las Vegas. I think the whole community was so excited to get it, their first professional sports team. So I am watching, I'm at a WWE pay-per-view actually, and I'm watching game NBA, seven yeah. of the NBA finals. Amazing classic game. The game is over. I'm like, ah, what a cool moment. Go back and I get a text from my friend at the um, Hexess nightclub where he's like, uh, hey man, great game. I'm like, oh my God, you're telling me it was fantastic. He's like, the Cavs are coming through. I'm like, when? Like next week? Like, you know, tell me when and maybe I'll, I'll book a flight back. He's like, no, 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 they're coming tonight. I'm like, what do you mean tonight? They're in Oakland. We, we just watched the game. He's like, I know. They're not going to party up in San Francisco or like in Oakland. They're flying to Vegas right now. We're setting up the table. You should come over. And I'm like, well, worst thing that would happen is like I would just go, go to the club and be one but by myself, but not by myself, but there wouldn't be anything there. But I, 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 uh, I show up there. They're, they're ready for the Cavs. They got all the champagne. They got all the stuff going. And the next thing I know, like, here's LeBron. Here's J.R. Smith. Here's, you know, all the, the, the entire team is there. And then listen, so they're on a stage at this point, you know, because everyone's like, let them enjoy the evening. I'm like, I'll let them enjoy the evening. But it's like, they're, they're up on a platform by the DJ. There's like a professional photographer to my left or right. There's like a, there's, they're shooting this. And I'm like, I'm going to join them in this action. So I did that. And one of those cool moments, by the way, where you know, like you're, you're the only one there who's going to put this out there for people to see. Cause like the, the other, like they're, they're having the biggest pool party, which they normally have on Sundays. So I knew the, the videos that I was, you know, the pictures were going to reach a um, wide um, audience, but um, it was one of those surreal moments where I'm like, wow, like it was like LeBron, it was Vegas, but then all of a sudden I'm on sports center with Kerry champion, basically giving uh, the play by play. <laughs> Either you gave me a different version of the story when you All first right, told see. me when we were talking about it many years ago, or you just changed it, which was you were already in your room and oh, yeah. in bed. I was. No, no, no. A hundred percent. Totally in bed. Yeah. I mean, I, cause at that point when I got the call from the friend, I was back at the Cosmo, like I was in my room, I was in my shorts. It was one of those moments where you're like, you know, turning out the lights Almost a call that I ignored, you know, because you're like, okay, what's there's going to be no good. I mean, come, you know, but it was like around midnight or a little bit before midnight. I forgot the exact time, but I was definitely calling it like I wasn't going to go out. It was Sunday night. I knew I had to wake up early, but uh, that's crazy. That was one for the books. No, that was, and it was an incredible story. And it was a video that ricocheted of J.R. Smith spraying champagne. And it was the beginning of sort of, him being shirtless for like yes. three straight weeks. Really was, you know, because he got off the plane without the shirt. He did the parade without the shirt. I, he probably did a couple talk shows without the So I, I <laughs> he walked in, he walked in with his shirt. He did not wear a shirt for another week or so. <laughs> I know. How amazing was that? So amazing. So now you're at the Times and like you did something. And and when we when we do these shows, a lot of times we talk about like risks people take, right? And it's it's about betting, obviously, on a day-to-day basis, but there are people who take risks with their lives all the time. And you, about, I'd say, 18 months ago, 20 months ago, did something that was incredibly risky. 
And there's been a lot of stories about it recently, but it's always been something that like, I was super proud to see you go through this and wanted you to sort of talk a little bit about what you did and what some of the response has been. Yeah, so um, September 25th, 2018, I decided to uh, lose weight and I was very public about that only because I felt I needed to be publicly accountable. Like, because I think there had been so many times that I tried to do it on my own and then I would just quit. And so when you do it on your own and you're by yourself, like it's not hard to just quit. But then I put it out there that today's day one and I haven't done a good job. I was 329 pounds, I'm five foot six or seven, I'm, I'm short. So I mean, that's a lot of weight to carry around, a lot of weight to just live your life with in terms of just walking and breathing and sleeping and things like that. And so I put it out there and I was always like even now like amazed by that date, Tuesday, September 25th, only because I had always made it a point to start like the first of the month or the first of the year, or the first of the week. And so I was like, no, forget it. I didn't start Monday, but shoot, Tuesday, September 25th is the date. Like I'm not going to wait till like, you know, like October 1st, or I'm not gonna wait till Monday or, you know, I'm gonna start today. And then um, the response was overwhelming. I think that's what really got me going because 10 days into that trip, I was back in Vegas and I forget for what, but I was back in Vegas for work. Um, and that would have been really like um, easy for me at, the, at that point to kind of just go back to doing what, what I did before, which is like eat poorly and not work out. But I was amazed every day that I was in Vegas on that particular trip, I went to the gym, I worked out, I ate right. I think I had like one cheat meal. But um, the cool thing about it, because I had done such a good job up until that point, the key for me of making the switch is I couldn't get the seatbelt to fit. And on that trip to Vegas, I got the seatbelt to fit. It was snug, but it was a big moment that what I was doing was working. Ten days later. Ten days later. You know, because it wasn't like... Like I was big and when I, when I got it to click, it wasn't like, oh, I have room to spare, but it, it, it was cool that I didn't need the extender because the extender was really what got me going. You know, I um, remember that flight, like I couldn't get the seatbelt to fit. And at that point in time, like, you know, you're big, but for whatever reason, I always got kind of lucky, I guess, with my seatbelt and it, and it fit, it was always tight, but it fit. But in this particular occasion, it couldn't. And then the flight attendant was like, you need your seatbelt. And I was like pretending I was sleeping and she, but she saw the look in my face and like discreetly handed me an extender. And I was, I, don't, I just remember being so embarrassed by what I had done to myself and how I let myself get to this point. And it's like, I'm getting, I, I, today's the day that I'm going to change. So I'm glad she didn't walk past because if she would have walked past, I mean, ho hopefully there would have been another moment in time that would have forced me to uh, change. What was the scariest thing about doing it publicly putting yourself out there and knowing that i had tried this before this wasn't the first time obviously and that if i quit it was going to be very public it was going to be very like all these people that had congratulated me and encouraged me and said we're behind you like am i 10 days into this gonna be like okay i'm gonna go back to doing what i did before just was i didn't want to do that and um and listen, you know, I had gotten to a point where like I wasn't happy with myself, so I didn't want to post pictures of myself. But on that one, I'm like, I'm going to post a picture of me at the gym and I'm going to be working out. And, um, you know, was, which is what I always tell people now is like, you know, I didn't lose 130 pounds in one day. Like it took over a year. And so 
But it it did take that day one because I'll never forget one time I, I I signed up to a gym online with the purpose of going there like on Monday and I never I, for a calendar year I paid for that gym and I never went. So it starts with day one. It starts with that first trip into that gym and then goes to day two and just that consistency. By the way, you didn't like posting pictures of yourself. Your Instagram feed is like wow. the Hugh Hefner of Instagram. Oh, so, by myself. So okay. yes, with my friends. I'll post- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess that's the keyword. I, I didn't post a picture of me by myself. <laughs> what, um, so what kind of response have you been getting? You wrote a column that was really yeah. powerful about it. And explain a little bit about sort of, from a famous name perspective, the kind of encouragement you've got. Well, I mean, that's been one of the more humbling things. I mean, one month into it, Kobe Bryant was at Staples Center. Um, he was courtside at a game and he left. And as he's walking uh, to leave, there's like a swarm of media around him. And I didn't, I mean, I was kind of a part of that swarm. And he noticed me. He's like, oh my God, like you look amazing. At that point, one month into it, I had lost 40 pounds because, you know, it comes off super quick at the beginning when you're that size and you haven't done anything active and you like eat poorly. And so the weight kind of came off quickly and he was, and I think he saw it in the face too. He's like, you look fantastic. Keep it up. Uh, which I, I, I always think like that really gave me the confidence that at that point, like I was already well on my way, but I always thought that was a really cool moment. The coolest was, um, I mean, just in terms of like surreal in terms of what he knew was I was at the Terminator uh, movie junket, mainly because the Clippers had done a commercial uh, for the Terminator with um, with um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so I sit down and they're like, you got 10 minutes with them. I'm like, I, that's all I need. I, I don't need more than 10 minutes. So as soon as I sit down, I hit record. And I'm about to like ask him my first question. And he says, before we begin, I want to congratulate you. And I'm like, probably thinks I'm someone else like that's fine I'm like thank you but like for what again you know and he's like um for all the weight you've lost like that's incredible I'm like wait like I like how do you know my story he's like everyone knows your story and he proceeds to tell me like to tell this room of people which is like you know his who who work for him um you know this guy uh you know used to weigh 329 pounds he couldn't get a seatbelt to fit he was I mean, he knew it the details of my story that to this day, I think is one of the cooler moments. And then he's like, you should be in muscle and fitness. And I'm like, okay, you're okay. I think you're going a little bit too far there, but I appreciate that. But he actually did get me into muscle and fitness, which I always think is like surreal. The whole thing. I mean, I'm I, a year and a half ago, I was 329 pounds. So to be at the point that I'm at now, where I'm, I don't want to say plateaued, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Like that's crazy to me. So what's the hardest thing about not, going back to that you know it's just that consistency you know of of, of not allowing yourself because like I listen I, I still like the foods that I like before I would still rather uh not work out than <laughs> work out but you, you get to a point where like that becomes part of your routine and uh you enjoy having a good salad and like a filet or salmon or chicken or whatever. Like, like you don't have to get an entire pizza to watch a football game. I mean, I correlated or connected, like if I'm watching a football game, like that's like a sub and a pizza, like, like, like that's the only way for me to enjoy. It's like, no, you could just sit down and enjoy the game or have some <laughs> a chicken or a salad or just something. So 
it's been it was hard to break those habits at this point i have broken them but i do still have that fear of allowing myself to get back because we have heard those stories before of someone losing 100 pounds but then they gain it back i definitely don't want that to happen to me so um you are going back to vegas tonight why are you going to vegas so, uh, so I was there June 4th when they um, opened up the Vegas Strip for the first time in, since March or whatnot. And then so now July 1st, there's, despite the numbers being what they are, it, it, is, it is a further um, opening of Vegas, Vidara, um, Aria, Mandalay Bay, Four Seasons, Delano, and Waldorf Astoria. So not the entire strip, but most of the strip as of July 1st, going into that July 4th weekend, we'll be back up and running. And to be honest, like, we'll see how long that lasts. I mean, I, I hope just for like my friends and just people who like live and work and depend on jobs that, that it does continue. The numbers post June 4th were not surprising. I mean, I, I wrote about how the Cosmo, like no one was wearing a mask. No one, there was no plexiglass there. There was no temperatures being taken. It was just it was almost like pre-pandemic. And so like, that is my most viewed video. It was 17 million. And it was weird because it was a very mundane, normal video. It was a two minutes of me walking the casino floor. But if you did not notice the dealers wearing a mask, you would have thought it was pre-pandemic. Wait, I know the video you were talking about and I watched it. You're telling me that video has been viewed 17 million times? 17 million times. Yeah, that's nuts. And look, now it's worse um, than it was then. I remember seeing that video thinking, this is ridiculous. Like, how are these people walking around? I'm in the middle of Connecticut. I hadn't left my house at that point in three months. And like, I know now that the governor of Nevada has since mandated masks. So you're going to get there tonight. You'll be in all the places tomorrow, which is what I love about you. Like you just (laughs) go, you go where the event is, right? What do you think it's going to look like tomorrow? Do you think, what do you expect? I think July 4th weekend will be unique because in Los Angeles, they've closed bars and the beaches. There's no beaches in Los Angeles County. Um, So I'm wondering, are people going to stay home, which they should, like I'm going there for work, but like, are are people going to stay home or are they going to say, listen, we've done the shutdown thing. They're closed the beaches. They've closed the bars. We're driving to Vegas because you can get rooms at a really good rate right now, obviously. So I know you have to wear a mask now. So that has to be different. I'm hoping that it'll be different, but I'm assuming it will be different. Um, it should not be as crowded at the Cosmo. One thing people forget about when they, uh, when the June 4th, when they um, opened it up for the first time, I mean, half the strip was still closed. So now that, you know, the link and Excalibur and a lot of other casinos, like that hopefully gives people some option to spread out and uh, not be so packed in. I don't know what it's going to look like, you know, you know, because now hockey is per- perhaps, and I, I don't know when that's going to become official, name Vegas as one of their hubs. It's a little bit like what's happening with Florida, right? Like, okay, I mean, you're, you're going to a place that's become a hotspot right now. So it'll be curious. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of I'm interested to see how different it is because the, the other interesting thing when I went chat, it was like, if you show up to Vegas Thursday at 10 AM, which is when I went, I think it was Thursday. You obviously don't think COVID-19 is like that big of a deal or you're not, yeah, you know, you're just not concerned about it. I mean, if you're literally outside of a casino door at 10 AM Thursday, waiting for them to like, well, you know, come back. Well, you're, you're again, you're probably not that concerned. So that's why so many people at that time didn't wear masks. Thankfully, hopefully that will change.
if the NFL plays this year and you've got the Las Vegas Raiders and you've got the Los Angeles Rams and the Chargers in your <laughs> stadium, which team do you think you cover more games of? Those two or the Raiders? If this is normal situations, I'm uh, for sure Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely planning to be at the first game in Vegas, which I think is kind of like the course we took at um, ESPN. I was going to be at every significant Vegas event, and so like when well, the hockey team things changed after the shooting, so that was definitely a game that I had to be at. But I was at their first preseason game, their first home game, but then also going into the playoffs, you know, that their entire postseason run. I mean, I, I think people thought at that point, to be honest, that I had moved there because I was there so often, although I had not, but I, people thought <laughs> that I had moved there. All right, Arash, I feel like I'm going to have to name you at some point our official uh, LA to Vegas uh, <laughs> favorites correspondent. Um, try to be safe on the plane. Try to be safe when it opens. You look great. I'm glad Thank to see you. you. I'm glad to hear your story is progressing. Enjoy Vegas, uh, but don't, you know, stay away from people. I will. And I will check back and report on this beat that you've created, Chad. This is your fault. You created this monster, this LA to Vegas connection. Listen, I just, I felt like you were being underutilized and I wanted to get you out. I wanted to get you out of LA. So this was a good Love opportunity. It. Thank right, you brother. so much. I'll talk to you later. I want to thank my guests, Bob Scucci from the Orleans and Boyd Gaming and all the books in the state of Nevada and around the country, bookmaker to the world, Mr. Bob Scucci, plus Arash Markazi of the LA Times, who's on the flight path between LA and Vegas constantly. That's mostly where you can find them. Download the podcast from Apple Podcasts. And don't forget, go to the podcast page, rate and review the podcast, the phrase that pays. The right side is the winning side. Use that in a review and we will send you, Scooch and I will send you a book called The Odds, which I wrote and he was a featured player in. We will both autograph it for you and send it your way. Something to do during the downtime until sports come back. Download from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, this has been Favorites. Love you. Love you.